And uh, so here we go. We're going to recap at Second Peter where we've been, where we've been reading. Second uh, Peter in chapter 1. Um, I'm just going to recap um, the little part that we're, we've been reading the past few weeks. And it starts with chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promise. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature um, and escape the world's corruption, corruption by, caused by human desire. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promise. Supplement your faith with generous portions of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. So let's just start off. What does God not promise us? Sadly, God doesn't promise us that everybody will be rich. And God doesn't promise us that we'll all get that brand new truck that we've all been desiring, that I've been desiring for at least six years now for that new truck, little Toyota Tacoma. That's what I'm desiring right now. I haven't got it yet, but I'm hoping that one day I'll get it. But God also hasn't pro- doesn't promise us that we'll never have plumbing issues. And the plumbing issues really get me right now, especially with my daughter, my oldest daughter and my wife's and their hair. It just feels like it's like in every drain in our house. So, but God doesn't promise us that we'll never have plumbing issues. But he does promise us that we will have trials. We've heard this. John 15, verse 18 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And then in, chapter, and then in verse 20, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Um, I wanted to go ahead and start talking bring a little statistics of really what's actually the persecution that's going on in our world today. Um, being in Amarillo, we don't really see it as what the scriptures might say, the way it looks in some places. Um, but in other countries, it's a really uh, real thing. And so here's this. In an average month, over 300 Christians are killed for following Jesus. In an average month, over 200 churches will be destroyed or burned down. In an average month, 800 followers will be beaten, tortured, raped, or imprisoned for following their faith. So persecution is evident. But the question we've got to ask, which comes from verse 5 here in 2 Peter, is this. How will we respond? If we are Christ followers, we keep our focus on Christ, like we just read, he said his promise is the ability to share and to escape the world's corruption. And then as Christians, our values, they don't line up with the world's, with the culture's values. And the values here at the Harvest, I've made the values of Harvest my own. And honor and respect, healthy relationships, fruitfulness, all these things, worship and prayer, giving, uh, word of God. The culture doesn't have the same values as we do. And so we got to ask ourselves, how will we respond to this? The normal response, of course, is to run away, maybe to shut off, to go seclude yourself. Or maybe right now, the big thing we're doing right now is maybe just turning off the TV and watch, not watching that football game, just to make a stance. What is our normal response to the persecution in our life? And we'll read here this morning how instead of running away from it, but we need to actually have boldness to run to it. 
On the other side of the world, Christians have physical persecutions. Ours right here might not be physical, but are very real. And I remember talking to Pastor Curtis in his office about this. He's like, this is so amazing. Our good God is a very realistic God. So even though we're not, our church is still here. It's not being burned down. We're not being beaten. We're not being tortured. But the persecutions, the things that we're facing in our life is very real in our life right now. Maybe you went to sleep last night and you're thinking about the things that are going on in your life right now. It is very real to you. And guess what? To God, it's very real to Him too because it's going on in your life. Different types of per- persecution is, uh, so I was just kind of thinking, maybe you didn't get that raise that you should have gotten, but you didn't get it because of you're always expressing your faith at work. You've told them where you stand on this belief. Maybe uh, it might look as you didn't get that invitation. Whatever that invitation looks like. For the younger crowd, I know from college, it's, it's not getting invited to a certain party because you, because you, where your faith, where you stand in your faith. Uh, for older, I don't know what that might look like in your life, but you might not get a certain invitation for after work to go hang out with the guys or to a, part, a birthday party or some other thing, some invitation you might not be invited to. Maybe it's a split in the family. I, I, I'm experiencing some of that, different values of just family members. And so because of it, sometimes I don't, because it's, the split and different value, uh, values and family members, I might not get invited to certain things because I know this party or, or this get-together they're really doing, it's a very healthy, good party, just celebrating a birthday or something, but there's going to be alcohol there. And they're like, oh, we don't want to invite Brett. He's going to make it really awkward because he won't be drinking. However that looks like in your life. No matter the type of persecution, he does promise us this. If we make every effort to engage in the game, he will give us endurance to finish the race to supply our tool belts with knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and brotherly affection. So like I said this morning, we'll be talking about perseverance. And point number one we're going to talk about is we need to change our focus. Point number one is we need to change our focus. Uh, we're, I know we're in Second Peter, but we're going to jump back to First Peter uh, for most of this talk with some scripture. Um, I heard in a Pastor Craig O'Shell gave, he, I'm pulling one of the scriptures from a recent message I heard. Pastor Craig Shell give and uh, started talking about First Peter and why Peter wrote um, the book. And it was really fascinating. I never really got into that. And he's saying Peter was writing in First Peter to the first generation Christians who are experiencing extreme persecution under an emperor named Nero. And it's been said that Nero killed his mom. He killed his first wife. And some historians say that he actually killed his second wife as well. This dude was a bad dude. And he also had a really a large desire to rebuild, um, to maybe fix up. To, he, he wanted to be a fixer-upper. He wanted to up, um, do um, some stuff. Um, and so when he went to the Senate to ask if he can rebuild and fix up some of the city, they denied him. So what he did is he went and set fire to parts of the city. And it was so big that it lasted for days and days, this fire. And then they finally got it contained and went down. And then it started up again. And then when the Senate started pressuring him, he said the Christians did it, the ones who were following the way. So not only were they experiencing persecution, but now they're experiencing even more persecution. 
some uh, just just two things out of the many things that Nero, Nero would do uh, to the Christians. One of them was he'd capture Christians, put dead animal skin on top of them, put them in a cage, and release wild dogs inside the cage. Another thing he would do is he would get Christians, dip them in hot wax, tie them around a tree, and all the trees around his place, and let, uh, put, uh, light them on fire to light up the sky at his, at his parties. This dude's a bad dude. And this is who Peter's writing to. And so we find ourselves in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 13. He says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. I can only imagine what these Christians were thinking. Dude, Peter, dude, my cousin was just taken from our family, dipped in wax and tied to a tree and set fire. And you're telling me to don't look at this as strange, what this is happening to me, but instead to be glad? <laughs> what? Another example of persecution. I was thinking, uh, not persecution, but how we need to change our focus, right? Because right now this first-generation Christians, their focus the focus maybe at the moment wasn't really at the cross. <laughs> it was at their situation. And maybe another example of, some of other people's whose focus was somewhere else. In Matthew 14, Jesus and his disciples withdrew to a lonely place, it says, for some much-needed rest. They arrived, arrived by boat, and they discovered the crowd had arrived by land before them. Jesus saw them and felt compassion for them and healed their sick and fed them. The disciples saw them and said, send them away. So let's look at the different focuses. Jesus' focus, where is that? Jesus saw them as sheep <clears throat> without a shepherd. So this is the time whenever uh, we had the, the bread and the fish, and he needs, like, they need, to be, they need to eat. They need healing. Jesus' focus was kingdom. And not his situation, he's like, we, we got this. This is what we're here for. And the disciples, at the moment, their focus wasn't that. It was on themselves. It's like some of us at the end of the day, I'm just tired. I just want a nap. Maybe on Friday night or Saturday morning. Dude, I just want a nap. I'm tired. I don't want to go to church. <laughs> maybe Sunday afternoon, of course. I mean, I know. But maybe you just want a nap. But where is the disciples' focus? It was on themselves. And they saw the bread and they saw the fish. They didn't see the picture that Jesus was seeing. They're just looking at their situation. Dude, we just need some rest. These people are crazy. <laughs> so let me put both of these situations in the terms that maybe you'll understand. That's a little bit easier for me, and which is sports. Okay, so my junior year in baseball, um, I, didn't, I didn't start. And it's a little insecurity that I had to work with because I should have been playing, you know. But we're not going to talk about that. But my junior year, I, I didn't get the starting position. I was on the bench. To the other team, when this t game started, I was not a threat to them because I was on the bench. I wasn't on the field. I was on the bench. One thing that I did do was if there was a foul ball on the side of our dugout down the line, I would sprint out of the dugout as fast as I can, get to the ball, and then I would slide out, came up to the ball, pop up, and turn around and take off running. And so by the end of the game, even if I didn't see a game time, I'd, I'd be all dirty. It looked like I was doing something, but I was just chasing foul balls. 
But what I was trying to do is intimidate the other team, thinking, dude, may, I might not be on the field, but if I am, you better watch out. <laughs> I'm coming for you. But that's all I did was chasing foul balls. But then if I got the call to pitch run for someone, I would sprint out of the dugout, run to the base, and at times I would even slide into the base. Man, I was just like, here we go. I'm in the game. <laughs> and so that was what I wanted to do. And then as soon as I was on the base, what was my mindset? Yeah, I got to get in the pitcher's mind. Dude, I, like the, the old mo- uh, movie, Rookie of the Year. He's like, pitcher, pitcher, pitcher. <laughs> Y'all remember that one? The fiddle, he's like, pitchers. Yeah, okay. That's what was me. That was my mindset. I'm going to get in his mind. Um, but now that I'm on the field, I became a threat. Then my senior year came around, and during offseason, every day I was either in the weight, weight room or I was in the batting cages because I was going to be a threat. And I'm a senior year when I, I got the starting position and played second base, but where I shined was the cages because all the time I put in. I could hit the ball. But here's the difference. Bench playing versus being a threat on the field. Our Something I want you to think about, because we got to change our focus on where we're at. Is our focus inwardly or is it outwardly? Are we on the bench, maybe coming up with a bunch of fluff? Because that's what I was doing when I was on the bench. I was coming up with a bunch of fluff, running here, cheering, sprinting places. I made it look like I was doing something, but I really wasn't. Versus when I was actually on the field making a difference. Are we on the bench or are we on the field playing? Are we coming to Sunday morning and when it comes to the giving time, are we just tipping? Are we, just, are we putting up a hand doing worship but not really truly surrendering in our hearts? Or we see a hurting person to the side and then God has someone to pray for them. But instead, being a threat on the field, are we prayerfully asking God to do something big with our ties? Are we surrendering not only our hearts but our lives to, to Jesus during worship? Are we seeking others who are hurting? What is our focus this morning? I heard an example of this is, are we playing on a, are we looking at life as a, we're playing on a playground, or are we seeing it as a battlefield where there's actual war going on all around us? How, how's your focus? What's your perspective? Oh, on the playground, I'm nice to my friends. We respect each other. We're not going to throw the rocks at one another. We're not going to throw dirt on one another. We're being nice. We're just playing. We're having fun. Or do you see it as a battlefield? And I think of Tristan and what he's doing. He's preparing for the battlefield. And in his mindset, he's thinking, this is battle. i got to prepare myself. Are we, in our quiet time, are we thinking, tomorrow when I get to work, I'm stepping onto the battlefield again, and I'm going to be a threat? Or are we just doing fluff, making it look like we're in the game, but we're really not in the game? we got to enter in. And what's the promise in doing so? We'll become a virtuous man of God. We'll have knowledge and self-control. And we'll have perseverance. Like in Second Peter says, you'll have wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So this sounds scary. Maybe a little large of a task to devote, devote my life to the battlefield. But in verse 3 it says, he calls us to himself. You know, this... Um, Colossians 3, this is right now in our youth and college group. Um, we're talking about relationships and the key scriptures out of Colossians. 
And uh, one thing that I've been explaining to them is trying to change their focus on how they see God, how, how God sees them. And so I, when the youth, the first week, I said, okay, guys, do something for me. Close your eyes and think of something that you want right now. If it's a toy or a gift or whatever it is, imagine whatever it is that you're really seeking. And the youth, they sat there and they're thinking about it, thinking about it. And some of them start smiling. I'm like, all right, they, they got something. I'm like, now think about it if I just gave it to you. Boom, it's right there in front of you. Dude, how awesome is that? You got it. That's awesome. Now what about if I came up to you and tried to take it away from you? What are you going to do? You're going to pull the Heisman, right? You're not having that. This is mine. I just got it. I'm going to keep this forever. And I told him, I was like, understand that's how God sees you. So Jesus, he came to this world to, res- to bring you back to the Father. And that's this gift that you now have. He sees you as that. And he doesn't want to sh- He's like a jealous God. He has this. And he doesn't want anyone to come close. He just wants just y'all. But that's how he feels about you. And you, and you, that's how he sees each and every one of us. He wants us. And he doesn't want the evil to have it. He just wants you for yourself. We need to change our focus to get perseverance, to have self-control, all these things. We need to change our focus to understand that Jesus sees us this way. And if I'm dependent on other people's response for my sense of security... I won't risk loving someone who might reject me. But if I'm secure in God's love for me, I'm released to love those who may not return my favor, who may not return the favor. Because I'm not no longer dependent on what other people say about me. If I'm invited to that party or not get that raised, I'm okay because I understand where I sit with God. So we need to get new focus on what field we're really playing on and, and how we see God's presence in our lives. Uh, step number two, point two, is we need to do what is right and trust God with the results. Do what is right and trust God with the results. First Peter 4 and now in verse 19. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on going, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. Dude, I'm thinking about perseverance. I think about pushing on, even though with all the stuff going around you, I got one example, I was thinking of the guy in scripture of Joshua, think about Joshua, just like all the other Israelites, promised a land flowing with milk and honey, and then on the way, he sees, as Moses is going, this meeting with the Lord, he sees all the Israelites growing impatient, and they're creating a guy of their own, he's getting a little frustrated, he's like, are you kidding me, we're on the way to the promised land, and this is what you're doing? And then they get close, and then they send some spies. Joshua's one of them. And they come back, and they, they say, we saw giants. But Joshua's like, it's okay, because God promised us this land. Dude, we can take this. Come on. But they doubted. And so with the Israelites, Joshua had to go and walk the desert for 40 years. I can only imagine what he was thinking. He trusted and believed that he could do it, but now he's having to walk around the desert. I truly believe that Joshua had to focus his eyes on Christ, do get a new perspective, and trust God with the results. Because he probably would grow pretty frustrated at his situation with all the stuff. Because they faced a lot of stuff 40 years in the desert. <laughs> he had to focus his eyes on Christ. 
And I can only imagine, I was thinking about it, I was like, what if he was here this morning? Imagine the testimony he would tell us. Man, how great would that be? And as I was reading different translations and thinking, man, he wondered what he would say. And this is the best I could come up with. Be strong and courageous. My promise, my promise was a land overflowing with milk and honey. Never did I imagine that one that I would be the one leading these people into the land. Joshua was just a, an assistant, but because of his focus on Christ, because he did what is right and trusted God with the results through this journey, by the time he got to the promised land, he was the leader, and he got to lead the people into the promised land. Man, that's awesome. Joshua had pursued God in his journey, and it took him deeper in his faith. And the result is identity, knowledge, self-control, and gained perseverance. Joshua faced peaks and valleys during his journey to the promise. But without the peaks and valleys, it makes the destination less gratifying. When I pursue Christ, my journey is no longer feels like suffering. Whenever I pursue Christ, my journey is no longer like suffering, but transforming my identity in Christ giving me endurance to push on. I like to think as our journey as a roller coaster. <clears throat> I mean, think about it. You ever been on a roller coaster? There's times it's exciting. There's some times that you're scared, possibly. I mean, as a young child, I was scared all the time on the roller coasters, but I loved them. Um, there's sometimes you take an unexpected turn to the right, an unexpected turn to the left, and you're going up, and you're going down, and then you're bouncing back and forth on the sides of the car, and it hurts maybe every now and then. But here's the deal. On this roller coaster, think about if you got on the cart and the announcer said, okay, here, raise your hands, here comes the, here comes the down, put your seatbelt on. All right, here we go, guys. All right, here we go. Done. All right, get off. Without all the turns, the ups and downs, the hurt, bouncing up and down, and the scary times, the good times, bad times, without the journey, it makes the destination less gratifying. Because along the journey, I gain knowledge. I gain self-control to hold on in certain times. I gain wisdom. And this is the thing is, I gain perseverance because I began looking forward to the end. Without the journey, it makes the destination less gratifying. And like Joshua's example, when we keep our focus on Christ and do the right thing, staying true to who we are, our character, we will gain knowledge on what this journey really is and begin to cultivate the power of perseverance to reach the destination. And think, man, if I'm just like a roller coaster in my life right now, think about all the persecution in your life right now. If I'm experiencing all of this, how great is the destination? God's doing something in me. In this journey, God is creating in me all these things to prepare me for something. I wonder how great that's going to be. And that gives me perseverance. When I get a new focus, I stay true to who I am and do what is right, trust God with the results. Last point number three is respond. we got to respond. C.S. Lewis says this, Don't bother too much about your feelings, for when they are humble loving and brave give thanks for them when they are conceited selfish and cowardly ask to have them altered in neither case are they you but only a thing that happens to you what matters is your intentions and your behavior we might have good intentions 
like me playing baseball. Like, man, I was trying to run for that foul ball. I was trying to cheat. I was trying. I had good intentions, but my behavior shows that I'm not a threat to the other team because I'm on the bench. And if you're like, if if you're like this world, the world will love you. If you're not like this world, the world will hate you at times. And I get it. There, man, there's. <laughs> I don't like to turn on the TV because there's there's talks of war. There's protests, natural disasters. I mean, you can't even watch football anymore. Good grief. Going on in the world, we tend to pursue comfort. Naturally, we will all pursue comfort. What we're doing is we're leaning, we lean towards comfort. We're choosing the path of least resistance. Let me tell you, Christianity is a journey. And along the way, we will feel intense excitement about God. Not always. I think about the roller coaster. Remember, I'm going up at the very beginning. I'm kind of scared. <laughs> I'm not really excited about it. I'm actually rethinking what I chose to do because <laughs> it's still going up. It's still going up. And we're still going up. <laughs> Can we not just do it? Oh, my goodness. Can I get off? But then all of a sudden, I go down. It's fun. We are, sometimes you'll have mixed emotions. Sometimes we'll feel intense pain. But regardless how you feel, your situation with your persecution. we got to remember that God is much bigger than our fleeting feelings. It is a daily, daily journey towards holiness. Uh, there's a chart, and um, I think it, I heard it from a pastor online, and I saw it, and Ed knows what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the chart. It, it, it's just awesome. It, when I saw it, it gave me perseverance. It just it, encouragement. So I hope today it encourages you. But this is what we do. When we pursue comfort, this is us. When we see all the protests, we see things, naturally, sometimes with our human nature, we will pursue comfort. We'll turn off the TV. We'll shut the doors, shut the blinds, and just be in with our own little family. I do this sometimes. I just want to gather all my children where I can touch them because it's just stay here. But this is what will happen. You pursue comfort, this is where you'll leave. We'll avoid opposition. But Jesus says we'll have opposition, that we'll have trials. We don't want to face them. So ultimately, we'll avoid opposition. And then, because of it, since we're not in the trials, we're not on the field, we're not on the battleground. I mean, in baseball, I'd learn new things. While I'm on the field doing game, I'd learn new things. But if I'm not in the game, if I'm not on the battlefield, my faith weakens because I'm no longer, longer dependent on my faith. So our faith weakens. And then, ultimately, we feel like our life's empty. You feel like your life's empty, like you're going nowhere because, man, you hear all these things that I'm talking about, but you're like, dude, I'm not experiencing persecution like you're talking about. Now, maybe after a while, we can begin to think, well, what's my life about? And then it's the pain cycle. You're, just, you're pursuing more comfort. You avoid more often. Faith weakens more. Your life feels more empty. It's a pain cycle. But here's the deal. This is where we got to change our focus, trust God, and respond and start beginning to live boldly. We got to understand that maybe there are tomorrow's not, it's not, we don't have a promise for tomorrow. The guy just says, live for the moment and to push on. And that's scary at times, but God's saying, I'll be there. And my promise is, I will give you the ability to share and to escape the world's corruption. And when we begin to live boldly, is that working here? Oh, there you go. And what's after to live boldly? 
what's the course of the promise? We will face trials. <laughs> we will face oppositions. It's a promise. <laughs> you will face opposition. But then guess what? After that, your faith will strengthen. Because why? Because you're dependent on Christ. You're facing all these things on a daily basis. And instead of running away, you're going to have to pursue Christ and push in more. Because you are my provider. You are my strength. You are my perseverance. And after that, you grow closer to Christ. And then from that, of course, you begin as closer to Christ you get. Think about it. You start living more boldly. So let me ask you, which chart are you this morning, this week? I know there's times that, man, I'm so tired. And I tell you, I know I work here at the church, but there's days at night I'm like, I don't want to go to sleep because I really don't want to go to the church tomorrow. I don't want to do church tomorrow. I'm just not in the mood. I can't do church tomorrow. And I go to sleep and I wake up and guess what? Man, I got a new spirit. I'm ready to go <laughs> because that night I, per, per, I pursued Christ. I pray. I said, God, give me a new focus. And his promise is true every day. First Peter 5, 5-7 says this. First Peter 5, 5-7. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. At the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God. For he cares about you. Let me tell you, our journey is not maintaining our puppy love feeling towards God and our friends forever, but rather committing our whole life's journey and push and pursuing the heart of Christ. And First Peter five and verses ten through eleven says, "So after you have suffered a little while, again, this is Peter again. He's saying to the early day Christians, so after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you." And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever and amen. So, to recap, we've got to change our focus. We've got to trust God, do what is right, trust God, and we've got to respond. Number one, we need to change our focus. We are, are we playing on the playground or are we playing on the battlefield? Reminder, if I'm dependent on other people's response for my sense of security, I won't risk loving those who might reject me. But if I'm secure in God's love for me, I'm released to love those even though they might not return the favor. Number two, do what is right. Trust God with the results. Like Joshua, we can, uh, we can kick and complain about our situation or take his example and submit our lives to pursuing Christ, trusting him with the results. And number three, we respond. Will you, uh, will you set towards comfort or live boldly? In doing these, we will cultivate the power of perse perseverance in our journey, of the great reward ahead of us. Because how great will that destination be? Last example of the story of a man in the Bible and Scripture. I just heard this just a couple of days ago. I was driving my car and listening to a pastor speak. And he was encouraging the congregation. And he said, all right, 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17, verse 48. And what is it? David and Goliath. We all know the story. But here's one little thing that maybe we might not look at. One word. One word that says ran. So David goes down. He gets on his on all the shield, all the stuff, and then he takes like, no, I don't need that. I'm going to trust God with what he's given me. And he goes down there and he approaches Goliath. He's, talking, he's like, you're going down today. And Goliath, you know, he laughs, all that. He's like, whatever. And then Goliath approaches David. And what does David do? 
He knows exactly who he is. He lived bold. He lives boldly. And it says he ran towards Goliath. So, men, today, what does your day look like? How will you respond? Will you run away or will you run to it? Because David knew who he was. He ran to it and he had victory in his life. God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray for these men as they uh, begin their day. Uh, Lord, I pray that they uh, change, we, that we, you know, we begin to change our focus. That we see that our journey right today is not just uh, just something that's happening to us, but maybe it's purpose. Uh, you have it in front of us for a purpose, so we can learn from it, so we can gain wisdom and knowledge and self control, that we can be perseverance through these things for the end result. Man, if we're going through this, how great of things that you have planned for us, God. So I pray for encouragement for the men this morning in their jobs. May they live boldly and run towards it, Jesus. And I pray for the table time, Lord. May you be in the midst of our conversations. It's in your name I pray. Amen.